Matt, and this is Classical Reboot, progressive talks on Western classical music. Politics and ideology and music, um, it's uh, no question that um, in politics, ideology, philosophy, all that stuff um, influence people who create music and listen to music, um, whether that's be people who perform the music or compose it outright, or the people that um, consume it being uh, people that are influential, such as like a radio host who actually uh, like actively choose uh, the music that is being broadcast on the radio station, or, you know, those who are um, passively uh, listening to it or passively actively listening to it they're attending concerts and they're you know they, they don't really have a say in what's going to happen and they're just there to consume it um and that's just really really kind of the, the core of what we're dealing with here um and making the the observations and the the, the nuances between between that uh those things um so i guess the the performance perspective is Certainly an interesting one to kind of um, jump into with um, the, the idea that a performer's personal philosophies, um, politics, ideology um, influence how they interpret works. Yeah, and I, I think um, the, the performer has, these are all, I think, unique rules. The performer has an interesting one in that they're, in some ways, the bridge between the other two. They're sure. connecting the composer to the audience. Sure. Um, and... And vice versa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Of course. And they um, they have the role of presenting the work. And, and it, because it's music, it's a, it's an aural thing. You right. hear it. And um, the the way that the their own politics and ideology will seep into that performance no matter what. Also, interest, I, I think you mentioned a little bit about the choosing, like how you have a program. Yeah, programming for sure is like a huge part of yeah. that. Yeah, and I, I think that that might interestingly be the, the largest part of that for a, for a performer is simply what you choose to play. Sure, um, Because sure. if you're, if you are actively out there choosing your programs, which not all of, the performers out there are right, um, right. but it depends on what ensemble if you're you know playing a major orchestra as a performer you often don't have a large say in what you're unless you're on the board but like yeah yeah, yeah. um but i mean like but you know just let's just kind of lump sure all the people making those decisions are performers yeah you know that do make the decision for programming so performers have that job basically yeah. and I, I think yeah. it's interesting to you see what someone will choose to play. Um, I think a lot of the time it follows kind of um, national borders. Like mm. um, if you are a Polish concert pianist, you tend or you might tend to play a lot of Polish piano works. Sure. There are a lot of them and a lot of great ones. So it kind of one mm. makes sense. Works but in your favor. Two, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a, you know, there, there are people who do that. There are people who 
you know, uh, an Italian conductor might lean more on Verdi or Spighi or more modern Italian composers, sure. you know, than they would on German or German repertoire, sure. French repertoire or something. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's, a, that's an interesting aspect. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the aspect that I think is more political mm. in, in that what you choose to play can sometimes uh, have a political statement separate of you. Sure. Whether, and then are, you have to present it. Are you saying whether it's intentional or unintentional? Or are you saying this uh, is like an intentional There's thing? an intentional political statement okay. from a composer in a piece of music uh, that the, the artist, through choosing that piece... Is now choosing to present, right? So. And you're you're gonna spin it somehow because you're you're an artist and you're, you're yeah. a performer, and you're gonna change it a little bit. But at the yeah. end of the day, you chose to pick that right. ideology and present it. So there's a little bit of um, responsibility there. But I think sometimes performers can get a little wishy washy on their responsibility. Sure, yeah. in that respect, because it, it you're almost. I, I agree with the performer that decides to perform a piece because they objectively think it's like a good work. Yeah. Um, but then they later, but but then if they later find out that this work has a lot to do with insert um, some political movement here or insert this composer's like thoughts on this here, I think it's insert anti-Semitism homophobia. <laughs> yeah, here. yeah, yeah. That's the main. Sure, one, I sure. I I think that it's. Um, not only appropriate, but obligatory to at least um, um, bring that to the front of the conversation. Yeah. Um, if if not to not it's not and not to detract from the the music itself, but to make the audience understand like this is what this composer was conveying through this music here. Um, and whether you align with those or not is up to you as a performer to like um, tell the audience. I think yeah. Um, there's a communication aspect, right? That, right. That the performer has to follow through on. Right. Right. You're the public figure for the. You, you have to go out and explain what you're doing, and that goes in a few different ways. You're playing, or yeah. you're, you're performing. Your actual performing is a dialogue. Right. It's a dialogue on the piece. It's a dialogue on what the piece is about, how you feel about that piece. There's that aspect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then there's also the aspect of like explicitly telling the audience, this is what this is about. This is why I'm doing it. Sure. This is what I want to convey. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, there's the program notes, the pre-concert, post-concert sure, talk aspect sure. that I think is, is also incredibly valuable. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Sometimes more valuable because music while it can convey many things that words cannot it cannot be as necessarily specific as words right because music i mean sound i mean unless it's a song unless it's a song then sure. you have yeah, obviously absolutely. like or like an opera about. like like if you have sure kind of a whole context right right but if you have just like abstract instrumental music then these const these, these ideas aren't um uh, inherently apparent you know? right yeah um yeah, so um, on the topic of kind of bringing back to what I was saying earlier, like with larger ensembles with conductors, 
And I didn't even, I, I guess you can kind of group conductors in the role of the performer. I would. Yeah. And yeah. To me, I, I think they, they definitely do because they're, and it's often said by conductors, the orchestra is their instrument. Right. Um, right. Right. Which I, had to say that way. Um, <laughs> but, but it was actually a physical need. The, uh, the amount of eyebrow raise in uh, Matt's face when he said that was pretty pretty incredible. I try. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, because the, they're they're choosing the piece and they're choosing how it's interpreted. Right, right. They're, they're going to tell the orchestra if they're doing it not the way they want them right. to. Like they're going to balance it. They're going to bring out specific parts for a specific reason. And, and I wonder like for a lot of composers that are like dead, which is a lot of what's performed, com yeah. conductors have a lot of liberty on how they perform a work, especially older works that don't even give specific tempo, like metronome markings. They Absolutely. can take things like, like Bernstein's a great example, like of taking tempos very extreme, like yeah. um, based on just like the tempo um, markings, not necessarily the, the metronome marking, but um yeah, he's, and he's I, some interesting tempo. Oh uh, yeah, he. Fun. I yeah, I think that I I I think Bernstein's tempo um, decisions are a great example of pushing the limits on like what, um, like one of my favorite uh, Shostakovich nine recordings is of his, um, and he takes that last movement. Oh, it's so fast. It's it's. it's Scary. Like yeah. If you've yeah. ever played that piece, <laughs> I, I think you get an anxiety to this thing too. You're like, because that's the, uh, am I thinking of the fifth symphony? No, no. The I'm fifth symphony of, takes really fast too. The da 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 that one he oh yeah i remember hearing that yeah and like the last like there's an accelerando for the last like however many good chunk of bars and it's just like um and he pushes it so hard and i'm just like ah nobody i don't i'm not sure i've really heard a lot of uh, conductors and orchestras get the same manic feeling of a Shostakovich finale, <laughs> quite like the New York Philharmonic right. under Bernstein. Right. Um, I do remember I was in Vienna and I saw the Vienna Symphony, so not the Philharmonic, but Symphony. Yeah. They performed in the Konzerthaus. Uh, mm -hmm. Great venue, huge. They packed the place and they played. 10 Shostakovich mm. 10 and they got a real mania out like a real like anxiety and like a interesting like it was a, yeah. it, it was a young conductor too which I found interesting I think that he was is 27 28 yeah. like young, good for him for, uh, young and he yeah. was great yeah. he got he was he was he got like at least two callbacks to the stage hell yeah nice but, I mean he, they did a great job so did yeah. the orchestra but yeah it, yeah it, there, there's an anxiety and a mania to Shostakovich. So, yeah, let's let's take that like Shosty Five example with with Ooh, Bernstein because yes. I because I actually like I did a little bit of research on this and like some like bullshit project I had to do in undergrad, but like because um, the tempo marking on that specific symphony is kind of all over the place or how people yeah. interpret it, it's like very it's like drastically. And Shostakovich's original tempo markings were a lot slower, like like Ooh. a very like. Um, 
just yeah, just a lot slower than like yeah. it's been performed recently. Um, it, and a large part of that, based on my research, is like he was actually trying. There's a lot of like repeated like um, bum 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 between like the sure. symphony and stuff like that. And like a lot of these like repeated like very heavy like uh, gestures are supposed to be representative of like the uh industrial revolution going on in russia at the time and like the idea like workers are like repeatedly doing like things over and over again and things like that yeah the mechanization right it's a very motivic symphony in my recollection yeah like absolutely very like in a way that like not many composers outside of like beethoven really get to and like the levels of just like yeah not like lyricism, but like just like you said, those like tiny things and just yeah. like repeated and repeated and distorted and moved right all around it and all through which is like very uh, like indicative of like the Russian uh, tradition sure. too and sure. like orchestration and everything because like uh, like Korsakov and like um, Tchaikovsky and Tchaikovsky it's like very like um, indicative of that uh, idea as well. But yeah. so that aside, like they're more melodic, but like the, sure. the repetition of material, sure, sure. Um, but like that aside, it's like. So Shostakovich had this idea of, like, trying to represent these, like, you know, paint this image of industry workers working in these, um, in these industrial plants and things like that. And, like, and I just picture, like, a very, like, gray-scaled, you know, factory setting, basically. Mm-hmm. And then, like, but then by, like, taking it really fast, you all, you, I think it definitely shines a different light on, like, what the, the piece is. You almost, you almost change, like... Again, we are taking abstract sounds that don't have inherent meaning to them. And the only reason we know that these have like purpose or meaning to them is because like based on like the research that I did um, back when I did it is like I learned about these things through I I think a lot of them were actually um, comments that his son, Max Shostakovich, I think that's his name, Maximilian Shostakovich, um, like he talked about it and Um, he, um, uh, because he late, cause he was a conductor and he later went on to, um, conduct all of his father's works in like the image that he thought his father wanted them to be conducted in. So if you, I believe if you listen to his recording, it's taken at a much slower tempo yeah. and th- and like things are like, you know, and it's like, it, and it's like this whole, I don't think that Bernstein's version is bad or wrong necessarily. You, it's, it's just as someone in that position, you have a lot of power and you, you can really change like what the, the meaning of this, this work is. With that being said, like if Bernstein studied the score, I don't think he was necessarily trying to distort the message that Dmitry Shostakovich was trying to convey. He was more thinking, he's like, what if we took this, like, you know, a blistering tempo that could be really cool actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the, one of the interesting things kind of specifically about the fifth is it's is it's um context historically when when he wrote it and kind of like why and sure sure and that kind of thing because it's following up on the fourth yeah which is arguably one of his most out there like not yeah normal like it's a very extended work ish it, it, it's it's yeah it's very experimental, if I might, for yeah, I'm shocked to Kovic, to- totally and, and harmonically, and even, but also form wise, it's, it's it's very ambiguous. Yeah, and it, and that's not a thing that 
Stalin yeah. liked, and he didn't right. like that. And yeah. so the fifth is kind of this thing of mm-hmm. he has to kind of. There, there's a lot of times where Shostakovich had to apologize for things sure. musically. Yeah, and the the fifth has some elements to it in in my understanding of. Things folk music, and it's it's yeah. a lot more normal. Yeah, I mean, it, it follows like a very traditional um, yeah. symphony form, yeah. and like this, there's a lot of and like the harmony in general is like very traditional. That being said, there's some phenomenal orchestration in that yeah. that's like breaking. That was like groundbreaking at the time. Yeah, um, and it's I still a great symphony. But like yeah. my point is, like yeah. it has a lot of these these things about. Um, Stalinist Russia in the 30s. Yeah, totally. And that, yeah. I think, there, there's an interesting point to be made for, you know, what is that, you know, that blistering tempo? Yeah. Is that like, you know, if we want to say, like, what does that mean? That could be an indictment of the rapid industrialization sure. and mechanization and um, all of these repeated motifs become a commentary on communism sure, and sure. Stalinism. Yeah. Real, more, yeah. more particularly Stalinism. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's detriments that if you take it at a slower tempo, there's still, I think, a commentary there yeah. that's not quite as pointed. Yeah. You know, it's like, this is like clearly like manic and out of control and like sure. sinister. There's a sinister quality yeah. in it when it's played at that like hyper speed that Bernstein yeah. gets. Yeah. But like when you back it off there's kind of this like especially at that point in time like you've got millions dying from starvation but stalinism really hasn't even reached its heights right right yeah yeah like it's post-war heights right um and there's almost a simmering of that there yeah of like this like when you when you play that that fifth movement uh, or the fourth movement the the finale at a slower tempo like there's this Bum, bum, bum. Like there's this like it, it feels creepy. Yeah. In a yeah. way that it doesn't at a fast tempo. Right. So there's still a commentary there you can make. And there the you, you totally. can also take it a different way. Yeah, and, and like I that's mean, the thing, it's like this is all especially when it comes to instrumental music, it's it's abstract sounds, you know, that yep. that are being interpreted in various ways. Um and that sounds in time. Yeah, yep. I mean the, that's it's a gross oversimplification but like it's that's kind of or is it a wonderful distilling (laughs) (laughs) yeah maybe Uh, (laughs) (laughs) the um but it uh certainly uh, no it's 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 not that one's better than the other but it's you're there's a commentary to be made. Well, when, but so I'm just bringing it back to like the performer, like you as a performer should probably be conscious of like these decisions. If you are actively going against something that maybe the composer like says, like you should maybe ad- address it. Um, you got to be prepared to back your, your yeah, claim. And, and I'm not saying it's something as trivial as like, oh, I changed an accent here or I did like that. That's yeah. That stuff is like whatever. But like, you know, if you, you know, do something that ultimately alters a phrase or like ultimately alters, you know, the way a, um, and, and I'm thinking like, <laughs> it's, 
This I actually can probably only I can probably apply to solo music for sure because like Bach is a everybody has a different Bach so like there's definitely that Bach is less political though that yeah no Bach yeah Bach, there, there's but, a whole mess of stuff there though right right but, um, but <laughs> that's me talking for hours yeah yeah <laughs> the um, but yeah it's just like the philosophies of the performer coming through with their interpretation of a work Mm -hmm. is when I think it becomes maybe an issue. If they're... How... Sorry, how... Yeah, yeah. It's it's like, if they... If they're performing a work... um, I'm going to throw out, like, an extreme example here. So, like, if you are a person that's, like having to perform a work by like um let's say um a, a female composer and you're a total shitbag and you have like a bias against women and you decide like oh i'm gonna not perform this well yeah. and obviously like that's that there's issue you're, with you're that like le- trying to sabotage right them. right that's um but so that's a very extreme example sure. of that but i'm thinking of something even more subtle of like nationalism or like something like that where it's like you might not like outwardly have something against like insert composers from this country here but like internally you have that bias like i wonder how much of that like comes out while you're playing like even if it's so much of like i just don't care if i play this piece well yeah you know and it it could even be more subtle than to take that the subtlety on that on that yeah yeah like to Say so like as as a performer, not that you won't. There are many times where you're not invested entirely. Sure, sure. And I think that's where like you won't play it well. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, it's not that you're not playing all the correct notes. It's not that you're not doing phrasing. That you know all of the stuff that you're supposed to be doing, and uh, you know, there, there's that. But there there might be just that thing where you're just a little flat because you just, I mean, like like emotionally not like oh yeah for sure sure <laughs> just like, emo- yeah, like you're yeah. you're just kind of like there and you're like you're just going through the motions all the motions are correct yeah but you don't really have you're not putting yourself in it yeah and by doing that you're robbing the piece of something because i think whenever yeah. you don't put yourself in a piece you rob it because you, yeah. you need to you need to yeah and um for everybody that's different everybody goes through that differently everyone like gets lost in music in their own way while performing but like everybody has those times where they're like yeah no i was i was killing it like they're 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 just like yeah like i was invested heavily in that and like i was feeling it i was doing it right that felt like a great performance and i think that's kind of what we strive for and that's the kind of mark you want to leave on a performance (laughs) right right but if you're if you're just kind of like flat like if you're like i just you know shit back and you just don't like yeah. female composers you're playing this early no you're 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 uh you most classical orchestral musicians currently playing and you don't like new music right so exactly yeah you just don't really put in that same kind of effort and effort that you do in Brahms too right you know? right exactly yeah or i think that's really the two of us yeah <laughs> no we've, we've had this conversation i think that's that mentality is really common in conservatory settings Mm-hmm. where you have students that are studying their excerpts or whatever and 
the second they play someone's new, if they, if they're not into it, like if they don't, and I learned this, I caught onto this early on, luckily. So, um, I actively signed up performers that wanted to do new music because sure. working with people that didn't want to do works of mine, let alone works by just other living composers that were more established. Um, it's a nightmare. Like you're just, yeah. it's, it's like pulling teeth, you know, like we've, you're we've talked about. This, yeah. And, and this is like, the, yeah, this isn't a new both worked with people like that. Right. I've fully admitted that I was one of those people. Sure. Like, sure. Um, people can change. Um, <laughs> but yeah. You've come to the dark side. Um. <laughs> come to the side with no money. <laughs> That's what's happened to you. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like, I, I distinctly remember playing, we did Amy Beach's Mass in Undergrad. Not new. Not new. By the way. No, no. This is not a new work. This is a hundred year old work. Yeah, this is this was in the. I think it was actually it's over a hundred years. I think it was like late nineteen hundreds. So, or Mahler's not even dead yet. <laughs> yeah, no, we this, can't call this new. Music. No, no, this is this is like late. But it is a this, woman, so yeah, it's radical. Right, exactly. But I think like God, everyone. But I just remember everyone shit on this piece because like for whatever reason, but looking back on like everyone had definitely had like a bias against yeah. women composers and they just didn't want to admit it. Like, and it was like all my friends that were saying it and admitted, you know, most of them were dudes and they were just like worrying about it. And I was just, and like looking back on it now, I'm like, yeah, like you were all just being shitty people yeah. and not wanting to perform a work by a composer. You've never performed a work by and be a woman. Like, yep. whether you would admit it or not, like, that's, like, what was yeah. going on kind and of thing. Yeah, that's absolutely... And I will right. say, I will say, the one thing that was going on, we had the person who was conducting it was this, um, uh, the main person was, like, on sabbatical, so they were, like, filling in. And that so that always hurts. Yeah, no, and it did, did not help. Did not yeah, help at all. Like, this conductor, like, she, she wasn't even, like... Um, I don't even know how she got the position at a university because she wasn't like a trained musician. She had like experience. It was weird, but she had experience like working with like choirs, but then she got, yeah, but then she, cause that's what she was doing. For those of you listening, because we're not filming this, <laughs> my eyes got very wide. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then she was in charge of conducting a full orchestra and a choir for a mass. And it's just like, again, like, and I've got, and I went, I was, um, I just remember like during it, like listening to recordings of it to like, you know, get an idea of the work. Like it was a cool piece. We did not perform it well. <laughs> like that was well, the main issue. <laughs> oh, that, that hurts me so much. So am I, am I undergrad? Um, I did a lot of playing under, um, a, a lot of playing with choirs as a, as an orchestra, as right. a, Sometimes you'd fall asleep with them on stage. <laughs> Once in a while, I would fall asleep during Christmas at Luther while on stage. Did happen. That happened 100%. I don't remember falling asleep, but I do remember waking up. <laughs> I guess that's during, what's important. During right? the Nauta class. Um, but so, so I've let, and you know, we, we'd be conducted by all of the conductors of the various ensembles. Sure. And, you know, kind of the 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 ones who were best at it they got the most respect from the orchestra because the orchestra had a fantastic director dr daniel baldwin well they still have this director in fact um mm -hmm. he's 
incredible director. He's very particular. He's super clear. He's exact, which is exactly how he is yeah. as a person and like yeah. as a what he wants from the ensemble. He's like, this is the time. This is where we're going. Like he'll, you know, let it go when it needs to. But he's like, yeah. intonation, play together, listen. Yeah, like he's very like, yeah, like that. And then you get a choral conductor coming up in front of a group that's been trained to like, yeah, watch, play in time, like keep their ears open, yeah. and like you get someone up there who doesn't conduct an orchestra, right. That's not their thing. They yeah. don't have a doctorate in it. Yeah. They're great at conducting choirs, mm -hmm. but it's a very different thing when you're dealing with 18 parts on a page and in front of you mm -hmm. than when you're dealing with four to eight. And it's, it's, it, and vocal just, music is so different. It's just inherent. It's an inherently different style to yeah. conduct a choir versus an orchestra. Yeah, absolutely. So and those, the, the best yeah. conductors were the ones who got up there and uh, would just get up there and go, yeah, so I don't do this a lot. <laughs> they just get up there and be like, cards on the table. <laughs> Look, y'all, I'm not going to give you all the cues you're going to need. <laughs> Most of my attention right now is actually on the choir, keeping them because choirs have a tendency to drag. Orchestras yeah. have a tendency to rush. Well, because when if, you're when it's a large choir working with an orchestra, there's so many of them. Yeah, and so that that is that's not even like a that's 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 a, that's a volume thing. That's a that's an acoustic thing. That's a that's an amount of sound. Yeah, at know. a certain point, you have to trust your eyes, not your ears. Right, when right. You're dealing with, I mean, at, at times, like four hundred people playing. Together. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's in large ensembles playing together is a nightmare. Yeah, and uh, compound that with like a bad hall, like <laughs> you're screwed. <laughs> well, no, no. I'm just saying. No, I played, no, but it, it, it had a little. Echoey, little echoey. Yeah, little, it was a little long of an echo. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna plug one of our professors uh, and my alumni at University of Wisconsin Eau Claire. Frank Watkins um, is a true homie. He, this man, this man, he has um, a bachelor's. I, I, I believe this is correct. He has a bachelor's degree in piano performance, a master's in bassoon performance, and a doctorate in choral conducting. And this man, when he's in charge of a large ensemble like that, beautiful. Because he knows when to give the attention to the choir. Yeah. He knows when to give the attention to the orchestra and everything in between. He sat in that seat as a bassoon player. Yeah. He knows how to, you know, he watching him conduct is like watching a painter paint something in like real time. It is just yeah. so, and he was so precise with everything. Goddamn. <laughs> that's, that's how I feel about uh Dr. Baldwin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, like when, when he was up there in front of the whole, uh, you know, when he was like really doing stuff, like there, there are recordings where he's um, conducting like uh, Brahms Requiem. Sure. I, I wasn't in the orchestra for that, yeah. um, but he conducted, we, we did the Bach Mass in B minor. I also missed that um, because I was, I was in Norway at the oh, time. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was drunk. And they were playing Bach Mass in B minor. Nice. Um, but the you know he he did that. He's similar similar kind of thing. I mean a, a bachelor's and a master's in cello performance, respectively, sure. and then doctorate in some um, conducting. conducting. Yeah, orchestral yeah. conducting. Orchestral conducting. And when yeah. he gets in front of a choir, watching him work with a choir is one of the most hilarious things <laughs> because he's so used to like orchestral efficient rehearsal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That like, and choirs just rehearse in a different way. 
Yeah, they no, don't, they're, they're two different entities. Like, yeah, and yeah. like, uh, and this is going to sound like it's a dig on choirs because it kind of is, but I want to present it like it is just a thing that happens because of the nature of the ensembles. When a choir stops, talking. Yeah. Talking just starts. Yeah. When an orchestra stops, sometimes you get people playing their instruments, but yeah, but it's like, it's a lot less. Yeah. It's not yeah. the same amount of noise. Mm-hmm. And watching Dr. Baldwin rehearse a choir, like with an orchestra, yeah. is just like, it's it's surreal because he'll just stop and he'll go right into talking. Yeah. And the choir, like, you can see them like start to talk and then stop because they're like, wait, we're getting instruction. Hold on. Yeah. But also he's just very exact. Like, like yeah. you know, that kind of thing. He's just yeah. like for sure. No, I think I think it's for someone to take on a so um a performer or a individual running an ensemble to take on something that large of scale. Obviously like you having multiple backgrounds is like super huge. It's like, so critical. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely. Think. And like I think that having more time spent in different areas of the music world like I'm fortunate that I've spent a lot of times in like not equal, but I've, I've spent the most time in orchestra, but I spent a good amount of time in choir. I spent a large amount of time in jazz band. Sure, I spent a large yeah. amount of time in like chamber groups. And then like, and on top of that, like writing my own stuff, like all that, like I get so many different perspectives on like, so I feel like my, obviously we all have our own like internal biases, but like my biases, I, I feel like are reduced because of the, all those different experiences yeah, I had. And I understand like how these different entities exist. And so like, I think that people, and I'm going to kind of segue into the the composer's Please, um, yeah. idea of like how this this is a doozy because as we all know, like there's a lot of bias that goes into composers' writings. think that some of the best composers um understand the different perspectives of the different ensembles that they're writing for um personally like my 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 achilles heel to writing is like uh vocal music i am i can do it um but it certainly takes me the longest and i have to think about it the hardest when i do it because i i i just for one haven't done it as much as i have like instrumental writing and writing for um just purely instrumental ensembles, but I also, um, it's, it's just something that doesn't come as naturally to me, like setting text with like rhythm and speaking. And, um, it's something that I, yeah. I, I mean, that's also partial syntax becomes a bit. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. And it's just something like personally, like I, and this is like, like I said, like my biases are reduced, but they're not, you know, they're not non-existent because like I, haven't spent as much time practicing setting things to text or writing, you know, vocal music and stuff like that, sure. which is slightly ironic since my girlfriend is a, um, is a vocalist, but, yeah. um, <laughs> she, she does sing. Um, it's, it's so that, so that's more of a, a, a bias. I mean, I guess towards the medium or the ensemble in which I'm writing for, I being a string player, um, liked writing for strings initially 
being a string player and in the jazz band um, or doing jazz, I liked writing for jazz and like string ensembles initially. Um, Did you ever write much for piano? And that's actually no. So that's the thing is like I I didn't for a long time, um, and I was actually kind of afraid to because I thought it's hard for young composers to kind of get this like idea out of their head of like, especially with piano. I feel like there's such like a, you have to be able to not be able to play it, but like it's an intimidating instrument to write for because there's so much repertoire out there for it. There's so much established canon repertoire out there for it. It does have the most repertoire. And there's so many like virtuosic performers for it out there. So you're like battling with this, like, I don't want to write something impossible. I don't want to write something so easy that they think I can't write for this instrument. Um, that's all in your head, though. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, that's fair. Yeah. That's, a, that's a complete psychological thing yeah. that I think a lot of people that aren't performer, uh, that aren't piano performers struggle with initially. I think there's also, there, there's an interesting thing in there, and, and I think it can be, like, at that point you made, you can almost expand it beyond piano. Sure. I think all the composers I've ever worked with, I don't, I don't think any of them have, no, I don't think any of them have played the cello. Sure. Like, at, you know, a collegiate level, let's say. Sure, Like, at that sure. level. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's interesting what you, what you said about piano, and I think it, it applies to all instruments, because unless that composer has played the instrument to a certain degree mm-hmm. and knows how that instrument works, like, on, a, on an instinctual level... Yeah. Um they they're always kind of uh wary because yeah. of yeah. that same thing that thing of like i don't want to write something too hard but too e- but like yeah too yeah. easy and i i've always found it i've definitely talked with we haven't really had this type of a conversation um <laughs> but i've definitely had the uh julian julian kwan i had this type of a conversation yeah. with um another composer that I just started working with um, where they're like, Hey, like, can you do this? Like they're, they're like asking like things about like, I wrote this, like what does it work? Does it not? Like, is there, and you know, I, I just have to sit them down and tell them like, you're not going to really be able to write anything that's impossible. Yeah. yeah. You're just not. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, you'll find a way. Like, it's, like, there are certain things where it's, like, don't write tenths for the challenge. Sure. Like... Unless it's an open string. Yeah. Like, unless you're droning with an open string. Yeah, yeah. Like, don't don't do, like, a thirteenth on the piano. Because we don't have a ton of Rachmaninoff's line around. (laughs) All right? Right. And people aren't going to put in that amount of effort for a piece that let's be honest, doesn't really have quite the same payoff as rock too. Probably not. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> Probably not. not. Yeah. yeah. I, I, no yeah. offense to all the com- new composers out right. there, but you're not going to get paid near as much. Right. Um, but, you know, it's like, unless you like break some like absurd boundary with it, you're, you're not. And sure. someone's going to be able to figure it out. But then, and, I, and but, that's but, where you have to find yeah. the musician that's committed to working it out. Sure. And that's, you, you mentioned it kind of, towards the beginning of this yeah. conversation a bit like you you have to find the musician that's willing to work yeah like working with people who are uh, into, but otherwise you're good like yeah you're clear the so 
having intimate knowledge of like an instrument and how it works, um, I think is really, it pays off because the, I spend so much time now when I write thinking idiomatically for the instrument, sure. I'll write something and I'll be like, all right, how does this actually work on the instrument? And I'll sit there and I'll be like, oh, this is actually really fucking hard for this instrument. How can I like change this one? Like something, it's usually just like one note that I'm like, oh, right. and I'm like fine with like, like, oh, if I just adjust this, like in this direction, this is a, this is a very you, idiomatic, like nice lick for this instrument. Do you ever like, just think like you, you write something in like, cause I can think of like in, on the cello, like if you wrote something more in like the, if you're writing something, you put it in the treble range of the cello and you're like, well, if I just move it down into the tenor range of the cello, lickety split works out for him. Do you ever like think about like range wise? Yeah. Does that come up or do you like a lot of a lot of like, times, the color of the range? Yeah. Mind? Yeah. A lot of times if I'm putting things in like different ranges, it's it's for like a specific reason. So if sure. I want that like if I want that high range of the cello because it's cutting and is can be very beautiful and sing very nicely. Like it um it's it's typically very intentional. Um sure. Sure, sure. Or like, let's say I put a cello in a really high range, but with a really um, like soft dynamic and like do it like um, flotando, like yeah. that, like is a very specific color. Sure. You know, that yeah. might not be conventional, but like, you know, so there's stuff like that where it's like, if I'm going, so, and that's usually on my mind at first is like yeah. color and stuff. But for, for me, it's like thinking in terms of like, um, I have a really technical passage here. Yeah. How does okay. that how does that lay out just like fingering wise, string crossing wise on the instrument kind of thing? Same with like wind instruments. Like clarinet is a real like wind instruments are still like my weakness in terms of this because it's I don't I've never played a wind instrument. So I um that ain't gonna help. <laughs> no, it's it certainly is not. But like I know but knowing like where the break is on a clarinet, knowing yeah. where you know, the, um, oh, this note tends to like have this tendency of like flat or sharp or whatever, or like these, these notes in this pat, like basically like for wind instruments, a large part of it is like knowing where the break is because yeah. like having a clarinet do a really big, like run, like through fast run through a break. It's not, you train, you train to like smooth it out, but like, it's not the easiest thing. So like if I can instead like have them do like from the bottom up, can I have like top down and then up and have the same effect, you know, sure. kind of thing. It's like, it's creating a slightly different contour, but like, how does that fit within the, you know, again, and it's that it might be to the, uh, performers be like, Oh, they're like, Oh, this is super simple. Um, if I can make, if I can make them say like, Oh, that was super simple. Opposed to like have this thing with like, Oh, it's kind of tricky, but it's getting the same effect. I'll give them the thing that's super simple any time of day because yes. I'm not trying to make your lives harder, you know, yeah. more than they have to. That being said, one of my favorite things about playing new music is finding something that's just like completely not idiomatic <laughs> cello <laughs> and just getting to do it. Sure. Because yeah. like yeah. I, I am, uh, sometimes I'm really just a goldfish. Like, well, I it's have, like, I have such a short attention span sometimes oh, yeah. with music <laughs> where I'm just like, yeah, like I'm playing a thing and like I'll like start a new piece and I'll be like, but I like want to play this thing now. 
Yeah. And then I'll just like, <laughs> um, I, I just always like having a new shiny object to play with, yeah. really. And um, that, that can be a problem sometimes, but it's great with new music. Sure. Because like, if you give me like this unique thing that I've never seen before, mm-hmm. even though it's like stupid hard and weird, as long as I can get behind like the effect mm-hmm. and like what you're going for, mm-hmm. I'm all in. I think it's like, for me, that's for me, it's yeah, thing. yeah, totally. It's like for me, I look at it. I'm like, all right, they're already doing like a complex rhythm. I'm already asking them to like uh, accent on like weird ways. Do they really need this like really technical string crossing thing going on at the same time? You know, mm-hmm. it's like maybe like one of these elements can be removed. You know? Oh, sure, sure, sure. You know, it's um, sometimes again it's like can i remove one of these elements and still achieve what i want to achieve it's the it's very much like the are all of these things i'm asking and putting in front of this performer is like face necessary kind of thing so that's i don't know that 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 was a bit of a a a rabbit trail from like the original um maybe point of like my my multiple experiences of like the different ensembles that i've been in has definitely like reduced my um bias you know when i'm writing for different ensembles because like i don't think that there's any any one ensemble is like better than the other as we discussed earlier they're different entities yeah. like an orchestra is an entirely different entity than a choir and they're going to be that's also a social thing yeah and because like orchestras are laid out in a much different way and like yeah. talking is a lot more difficult with like multiple like you, you literally can basically talk to like the two people sitting right. next to you right right in an orchestra like you don't have a lot of avenues in a right. choir it's like all these people you're sitting shoulder to shoulder right, right. Or, i don't know there's totally there's a whole no yeah they're also and it's, socially very different people sure totally I've, yeah that's, i found in my experience yeah i think that's a valid point absolutely but um it, yeah. yeah yeah for sure um and I, you know it's but I think it's pretty common to see composers that like <laughs> who like love strings don't like this one instrument, who like love you know this ensemble don't like this other ensemble, and oh yeah, yeah. you know, and it's do is it their stuff gets tribal real quick? No, yeah, but is it is it their like is it their training that like informs that, or is it like somehow their like philosophy or like? you know, ideology that somehow informs that. I think it's usually some unresolved issue. <laughs> in, <the past. laughs> in my experience. In my experience, there's someone, usually an unresolved issue that someone, someone has. Yeah, someone like dated this one instrument. Literally. And, no, and, literally yeah. just that. <laughs> it's just that. <laughs> most of the time. Most of the time, people just need to go to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Man, if you're going into a career of composition, you have to like and there is some hatchets well no but like it's like you can't be petty and like i know that's not the case like for mo- for the most part but it's like oh uh, dude being a string musician you can be petty as fuck i'm aware <laughs> <laughs> you can do whatever you want yeah yeah i'm aware <laughs> dude, i mean yeah well you know some of the pettiest people myself yeah. included <laughs> there are musicians out there no it's just it's it's real like some <laughs> uh but i i don't i um, it's the, um, I mean, personally, I think it's a little ridiculous because you're, you're burning unnecessary bridges, 
But but again, let's let's bring back to like that extreme example, which we have extreme examples of this in history, like Wagner being like incredibly anti-Semitic, yeah. like clearly has a bias against music or people of you know Jewish descent and anything non-Germanic. Right, well. right. Like I mean, like Romani people, right. not a fan. Yeah, Wagner. Not. No. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about like, Wagner here. <laughs> Wagner's not a fan of Romani people. I frankly take him or leave him. I really don't have a whole ton of opinions. Um, and so, we, and like that's pretty clear in his music, like the, the idea of German yeah. exceptionalism and stuff like very, that. Very um, you have. And, and then, then the, all the writings. Yeah. That he uh, left yeah. Behind yeah. That true. We cannot ignore. Yeah. I mean, you even take like, and this is like a larger thing that like I think. I don't want to get into too much detail where it's like the German composers specifically, um, whether they were outward about it or um, not, there was a lot of bias in that culture against yeah. people who were not of similar descent the, as them. The Austro-Hungarian. Yep, exactly. And um, so that is, you know, bottom line, like an incredible bias that we are just now beginning to reconcile with... <laughs> 300 years later, um, you know, it really starts with Beethoven. Sure. If I'm sure, I mean, 200. Yeah. Sure. Sure. I just want to point out that okay. Bach doesn't fit into this because he was just some guy trying to make some money in a church. Yeah. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, because, but, but, but even then, like we don't have concrete evidence, but like the culture was still very similar of like, oh, it yeah. was very like centered on like that Germanic. Oh yeah. Um, and, you know, and Bach was very like, right. The Luther and like Luther like, he was Lutheran, and Lutheranism is pretty conservative, like in the traditional well, sense. Especially at that point in time. Exactly. Very, like, yeah. At that the, point in time, very. I mean, yeah, he exactly. He's exactly the most open minded guy. Exactly. So, I mean, I'm not saying like we should, and that was just a product of like that time. Like, I'm not. We're not you know, out here trying to cancel Bach. No, not at all. Bach is a great Bach game. Oh. <laughs> uh, huge fan of that man's music, but. I think the. the, the for me, where this starts at, like this, the and one of the reasons that I, I think about politics and ideology and music is because yeah. of, and anybody does, is because of like kind of like Enlightenment philosophy. Yeah, happens. We have like Kant, Hegel. We get Beethoven, who knew about these people and their writings. Right. And Beethoven starts to form, at least in some way there's philosophy in his music. There's something he's trying to put out whether there in it's, his Whether music. it's like on the foreground or it's subconscious. Yeah. You know, there's, like... There's something yeah. in that. Yeah, and, exactly. And that continues and I think it gets... It just gets more and more explicit. Absolutely. Until we get to like Schoenberg and then we're like hyper explicit about what he's doing and the philosophy of his music. Right, like, right, exactly. He writes a treatise on it. Of and, course. And I mean like yeah. Wagner kind of did too. Right. But his was a little less noble. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I would say uh, Schoenberg's was a lot more um, concise in that he didn't bring a lot of his own personal philosophies sure. and with like sure. his treatise. His was more just like, here's the history of German Western music. Here's why I believe that the next logical step is like atonality, free atonality kind of yep. thing. Um, he does base a lot of this on like Strauss and Wagner who yeah. both like had, I mean, people don't talk about this, like Strauss had like not as like outwardly expressed feelings about um, people of Jewish descent as Wagner, but like 
kind of had similar philosophies Strauss going on. Strauss is such, a, such an interesting character. We want to just like sidebar and talk about him for a second because like yeah. he was born under like a, a recently unified Germany. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> like or yeah. Austria. Well, I mean Austria Hungary. Sure. Like, I sure. I mean he's he's born under an emperor. Okay. Yeah. And he dies after World War Two. Right. So he saw like the the formation he, he saw and pre like he saw like the, the formation and the industry. fall of this yeah. country basically. Yeah. Yeah. And he he's and, I think he died in forty six, but I mean. So, but thereabouts, you know. Yeah, yeah, but the 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 other thing is that there there is a like there, there is some discussion to be had over Strauss's view of Jewish people, but there is also an anecdote of him in Joseph Goebbels' office screaming at him. Yeah, yeah. About the propaganda and about how it's wrong and like just like him hating that and they eventually shipped Strauss off to a random remote castle to keep him Maybe alive throughout the yeah, war and yeah. away from bombs because they wanted him alive but they couldn't <laughs> have him walking around public because he was denouncing the Nazi regime. Maybe now I, that doesn't mean he wasn't anti-Semitic yeah. at some point prior yeah. but there was a breaking point for him where yeah, he I th- I maybe think he Holocaust like, bad. I think he yeah, apparently yeah. a controversial statement. <laughs> <laughs> the Holocaust is bad people. Let's just Leave it at that. I denounce white supremacy. I, I think both me and Matt can uh, openly denounce white supremacy without without without, without any like that. That's it. Like that is. <laughs> I'm just gonna throw that one out there. I don't have a caveat. Yeah, no. It's just like what it is. <laughs> it's just bad. No, it's um, but it's just like the the German ideology was like inherently anti-semitic and it was it was nationalistic exactly. that, that, maybe that's more what it is but that that in turn well, that it, nationalism is inherently anti-everything it's not that it's not right it usually means jews and blacks right 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 yeah so or that, or eastern european individuals as we've mentioned earlier yeah yeah yeah, it's, yeah don't don't use the term gypsy yeah, don't. Yeah, actually, that's that's a pretty Despite outdated the term. Four books on your bookshelf that currently have gypsy and big bold letters. Okay, look, it's. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just want to just throw that one on the fire and watch it burn. It's uh, we'll, we'll have we'll have Josie on here one time, and she can tell us all about the uh, the displacement and diaspora of the, the Romani people and their art songs. It's actually very fascinating. It's actually very, a, very, a the, very, the music very, is incredibly oh, fascinating. Oh, it's and the it's really cool. Um, and I think Romani is the. Yeah, for for people of like Eastern European yeah. descent, um, but yeah, so. they're minorities in general. Sure, um, there's sure. a big issue, and and German nationalism is, I think, the the biggest driving force in Western classical yep. music. Yeah, for politics and ideology. Yeah, I well, mean, well, basically, and as we all of like people who are pilot sense podcasts have watched like the Adam Neely video on the sure. um, music and white supremacy, or at whatever point you watch a movie. Or video at one point it was just called music theory is racist um which i think is like a, i think that was the best time. i think that was the best time but he got a lot of i definitely <laughs> watched it early enough for that for that one yeah yeah me too um but what it's what a, he ex- well structured it's a great video if you haven't watched it go watch it but like five minutes well spent yeah but what a large the large point that he's trying to make is that this is so the, the music theory that we are teaching now is based out of the philosophy of that era still and so then it inherently has these ties to that, you know, 
any nationalistic ideology. And that music theory is built to uphold a certain type of music. Right. A type of music which was already aging by the time that system was really concretely right. formed. Right, yeah. Um, and, and I think that that's a big point there, and it it's built to exclude music that's not like it. Right, as and, most and denounce are. it, and denounce it as, yeah. you know, not Schenker good music. was kind of the big, big right. one in, in the, in the sure. video that was used, because Schenker was a problematic individual. Yeah, yeah, in absolutely. And he was anti-Semitic. <laughs> Mostly that. Yeah. That's a problem. <laughs> I want to make that very clear. Um, and and then it, it excludes all those the the cultures you're like uh, you use jazz and like the other things sure. that you bring in as a composer to kind of bring it back to yeah. that. Like yeah. as a composer, how would you say like because if you were to use let's say like classical style now like i mean like that type of a thing like 19th century like legitimate like yeah like classical yeah counterpoint classical era counterpoint yeah. or baroque fugal sure. subject writing yeah. things functional harmony words um they're hard sometimes <laughs> functional <laughs> counterpoint like now i feel like that would be looked at very differently not necessarily to be looked at like you just be kind of weird. I feel like as like a, someone who's like trying to put out new music and you yeah. want stuff on sale. Um, it, there's there's people who do it and they do it in like kind of an ironic way where you're taking kind of like the 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 neoclassical era in the early twentieth yeah. century. There's almost I haven't seen it in a lot, but I've seen like some examples of it, like a like a revival of that where you're taking these like rules and then you're. You're you're taking you won't you won't use like a minor or major mode. You'll use like a Dorian or Lydian or like you'll use like different modes that have like I'm gonna use Phrygian. Well, but like they have and so makes it Lydian. and the, and they'll write it in that style. But it's like it has like a spiciness to it, and it's probably like a shitty way to explain it. But like it, <laughs> but it but it because it's like the the if you are truly in that mode and not just like implying that mode while being in the Ionian mode that it or the Aeolian mode that it sure. like was also is related to. If you are truly like you know if you're an E Phrygian and you're like yeah I'm an E Phrygian but you're really in C major like fuck you like that's not but like if you're truly like. <laughs> And but the, what happens is the chord functionality shifts because your yeah. one chord is is a you know a minor uh, is a minor one. Then your second chord is uh, is a major two, and yeah. So it I'm taking your word for it because I was always bad at those. no. Yeah, it's like your um, but anyway. So like the the <laughs> functionality shifts, and you see that on jazz. You do that, like that's a that's like jazz has a lot of modals. That's yeah, totally, and that's like straight up like something that jazz fucked around with. Uh, if you care to expand your brain on this knowledge uh john coltrane has this incredible treatise on the um uh harmonic minor scale and the like transpositions of that and it's pretty epic it's actually a lot if you read that in parallel with mession's uh treatise on the modes of limited transposition um it's it parallels really well with that um they were um Two very like-minded people in terms of harmony, which is very interesting to me, actually. When you listen to both their music, yeah. Yeah, um, but 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 you see people who are taking that like 
and a lot of them are actually like jazz musicians. Um, I think Wynton Marsalis actually did this with a piece. It like it's in the style almost of like 18th century counterpoint, but it's using modes. So it sounds like a little weird, but it's like it's whatever. It's fine. Like I and uh, like I I don't care for it personally. Like I'm not I'm not here to say it's good or bad. I'm not the biggest fan of it. Um, I I think it's maybe something that was going to inevitably happen because it's an option for people like for people in jazz who everything's are, on the table now no it is but for people in jazz who are still very much focused on this idea of harmony rhythm and melody but they're they're extending it and stretching it to a lot of really cool boundaries and stuff opposed to uh like n- some new music like experimental composers who are a lot more focused on just like sound the timbre the texture and stuff right yeah there's just like a very like yeah those two worlds they exist within the same bubble but might be on like the opposite side of that same bubble from each other if that makes sense yeah sure you know like you're um you can draw parallels to them but they're ultimately pretty different in terms of like how they interact with this idea of sound um so but to, to tie it yeah. back to kind of the politics and ideology, yeah, thing, yeah. How, how 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 does your ideology, your politics, end up in the piece? Yeah, I mean, because we've talked about like, yeah, yeah. There, there there are people who have done it. They also left a lot of writings behind and a lot of things sure, like that. Sure. Although you can extrapolate a lot from Wagner's operas. Yes. Without <laughs> if if nothing else, it's like I oh, mean, the Jewish servant was evil all along. <laughs> Well, I mean, you can extrapolate. You can you can extrapolate a lot on uh, Mozart's views on the way on women on the way he, you know, treat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a there's a lot of contra- not contradicting, but there's a lot of stuff of his writing saying like that he was like in support of women, but like was he? Yeah. Like I don't know. So like yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But again, those you're are like, using their. Uh, Freeness. They're loose. You're using these loose women a lot for comedic value. Right, right, buddy. Right, right. A lot for a guy who likes women. Right, right. Um, but sorry. But how would how how would you were like a a a current composer be be going about this? Um. So those two examples are like very concrete. They're a story. You have something like you said, like the in Wagner's case, the Jewish servant was evil. Uh, Mozart like women are um, exploited and it's like so those are very concrete within a or exploitative right yes yeah, 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 yeah rolls in both ways but like those are very Mass concrete effect. examples in like a story that people care are like tangible you can grasp on yeah exactly um in terms of like more abstract music and uh stuff that doesn't like have a story to it um i personally find it's like even if i'm trying to like convey like a political message or like I'm, like, probably not a good person to ask this, actually, because a lot of my pieces are about, like, my self-loathing and me, like, working through some shit. Or, like, um, straight-up named queer sweet. Yeah, I mean, or, like, that was, like, an homage to, like, my sister, who yeah. was, and it was, like, her coming out story. So it's, like, might be, like, the most politically active piece that I've written, but it's 2020, and, like, gay people are gay. And that's probably, that's whoa, a bad, that's... Whoa. <laughs> You're telling me queer people exist yeah. and that they have a right to be happy. That's like pretty much like, and that like, I wasn't even so much trying to like, um, that piece wasn't even so much me trying to be like controversial or like political in any way. It was, it was me to try and like, 
you know, growing up with a sibling and watching them like come out later in life and just growing up, like seeing like my sister and like, you know, not knowing she was gay, but like she never had like, uh, she never had boyfriends and she like always seemed like a little disconnected from herself. Like seeing that cognitive dissonance, you know, from an outside perspective growing up is like, it's definitely something that I, like, I was trying to like convey my perspective and it was still very much about her coming out story mm -hmm. but it was also simultaneously like me um it's your perception my and, and like my me processing like as sure. like growing up with someone who's like not completely like secure with their like um sexual identity so like that so that's yeah, really yeah. that's more what that was about than anything um more it, and like obviously it's a very like you know, queer LGBTQ positive piece. Like that's, you know, that's the, also a message in it. You know, I we're, just, say that, we're just LGBTQ you know, positive around here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, not general. even just the compositions and the performances, <laughs> just in general, pretty down. Yeah. Pretty, um, you know, cool with people being themselves. Yeah. That's unless the, they're racist. Yeah. That's, that's unfortunate. I draw a line. <laughs> Um, um, no, but, but that, yeah. that's, that's like what that, I mean, that's what that piece was. And so like, I guess it was like, had some like, you know, I don't know, like my, I, so like, like I said, like my, my, I'm the problem. I might not be the best person to like ask this, but like, cause a lot of my stuff is like, it's like me reflecting on like, um, my bad habits that I've been having recently. And like, I'm writing a piece about that and like how I'm just trying to like cut bad habits out of my life. And like, that's, yeah. and a lot of the times, like I might have a title that implies that, but that's just because I like, can't come up with like a good title. And I'm like, well, this is something I'm working through in my life right now. Let's just throw that on the paper. And like, Nailed it. right. And like yeah. some, and some composers like, they're like, oh, this is just like, I'm like, what does your title mean? They're like, oh, it's this line of poetry. I really liked. Sure. Why not? Or like, what's, you know, what's it yeah. like, there's like a single word that I've never heard before or something like, oh, I just really like that word. And like, and like, sometimes they're like, it doesn't yeah. really have anything to do with the piece. It's just like, it's there. <laughs> it's, a, it's there, but it's like there for us to identify. This one, this one piece I, I'm writing, um, for, uh, percussion and electronics, it, um, it's titled, it's okay, comma, face the void. And that's a quote from the show Midnight Gospel um, on Netflix. And it's this really trippy show that, um, ironically enough, is about this dude that does an interdimensional podcast, but um, but it's animated. It's 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 so it's like this guy interviewing these people like through different like dimensions and stuff. And it's it's by the same writers of Adventure Time, so it kind of has that like weird, like trippy vibe thing going on. But um, but these are real people that, that they're interviewing. A lot of them are like people like really involved with like metaphysics and like things of that nature. And like this one episode was like talking about death and like death culture and like how cute, like different cultures reconcile with death and like, and I forget what their exact title was, but they're like a death therapist or something. Or like they work with people who are just dealing with like a great death in their life. Yeah. And like, um, one of the things like, so there's this point in the, episode where the the character has like a complete ego death or something yeah. and they're just like in space and they're like terrified and the person would be like no 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 it's okay face the void accept it and i'm like yeah all right <laughs> yeah and like it was like so and and like, there, there, i i i had that at some point there, there was a point in my undergrad 
I was taking a maybe the second or third class on philosophy of religion sure. that I had taken. Yeah, yeah. And once you're in deep on some of that and you're starting to talk about more fine points of like metaphysics. Oh like yeah, yeah. What is like like idealism? Yeah. And, like everything is one. Yeah, like all the, once you start to like dive into these oh, concepts, yeah. there there was a there, there was a certain point where I did finally just figure out I'm like, wow, death just really doesn't matter. <laughs> like, I mean, I, oh wow, I'm just like wow, like when it happens, like it just happens. That's a it's you know you're you're uh, you're shut off and uh, you're gonna yeah, figure out what's what's out there. Yeah, uh, pretty much. But, uh, until then, not gonna know. And on that <laughs> note, uh, we're going to end this podcast. See you guys later. <laughs> um, I'm going to go indulge in some of my more unhealthy habits. Um, um, and cut this. So doing five taps of LSD at once. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about ego death. Yeah, yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, uh, I'm that sure. Was, that coincided somehow with some of that. Um, oh, I'm life. sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Also probably the roughest point yeah. Like the subsequent like six months. Yeah. Post that. Yeah. Oof. Really threw me for a loop. Yeah. I'll tell you what. It um. It'll take. It'll, it'll I mean, it's it. I mean, Large if you did, if you weren't gonna confront it, then <laughs> you were gonna confront it eventually. So it's like that's you, why you'll you never know. see the inside of that blue notebook you saw once. Sure. It's it's a lot of things just, from that time of my life. Yeah. Just working Very through it. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. Worked yeah. through a lot of stuff. Pretty good though. Yeah, I think I got a lot of good ideas out of it. That's hey man, that's worth it, I guess. <laughs> I would do everything the same. Yeah, that's a lie. I would do all the acid. <laughs> <laughs> Subsequent things about it. Yeah, sure, you might, you might, you might change. Um, but you know, I'm a trash can of a human, and well, you know, things happen. Oh, you move on, <laughs> or or not move on, but like you. You experience that, and it's not just a, it's a part of you now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, I think that's I, I super face important. I the void that's uh, where my heart should be. Sure. I just wipe <laughs> everything right down in there. Sure. Um, so maybe less about what you go through as you're putting. Maybe like my less, less about, about my, like what like, you personally process. you put into it. Like, what, what do you? Do you see other composers putting their mm. ideology, their yeah. politics into it? Because, I mean, we can all read. I assume the listeners of this podcast can read. So uh, maybe I shouldn't make that assumption. But you know what? I'm cut off. <laughs> and program notes. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. like th- those exist. You, you, I, I've, I've read some program notes and things where it's like, oh, okay. And you listen to it. And you're like, sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or someone gives a pre-concert talk or sure. you know, things like that. But like. With the actual music, yeah. where do you see that yeah. being put in by, by composers? Yeah. Um, again, the most tangible experiences are going to be with like vocal music with words. But I'm going to try and remove, like, step away from yeah, that. Yeah, because those, those are the ones where we're like, yes, the thing. Clearly. See? Concrete is what we it did is. It. We told a story. See? Story! <laughs> story. <laughs> we're both like nodding furiously. Like, See? See? <laughs> um, sure. So, so there's that. Instrumental. So instrumental music or electronic or multimedia or whatever. That I mean, that's another huge thing. Is like I've seen some multimedia pieces that are like 
like just abstract shapes and shit like that. And like, and super cool, super awesome. But like, even that I'm like, colors can imply a lot of stuff, man. Like warm colors can imply like a lot of anger and aggression. Cool colors can imply like, it's like, it's more like, and this isn't so much about the ideology. Sorry. And so I'll try and get to like the main point here. You'll get to the point, I believe. Maybe. Or you won't. But it's like, we'll still have 15 minutes of a podcast. So let's say like this composer had this like, piece that was called like I don't know 2020 just like the year 2020 as we all know this year's been a shit storm of a bunch of stuff going on and it starts out like with like a bunch of cool colors and then it slowly devolves and like the music is like placid but then it slowly devolves into like this really aggressive like thing and the colors have turned like darker and darker and like more warm and like you're getting really distorted sounds or whatever. And then like, and then like you have this like other like stuff going on in the background that doesn't necessarily fit with that. And that could be like commentary on like the, the world, like being like, okay with what's going on, but there's still all this like shitty stuff going on kind of thing. Like that, like a listener could derive all of that, you know, that this composer feels strongly about these like issues and that have happened in, in 2020 um from like just that title and like the path that you know this piece is taking like uh someone could you know begin to um uh make the connection between like how the composer feels about like the events that have occurred and like how they are portraying it on screen kind of thing Mm -hmm. again pretty concrete but it's more abstract because you don't have a literal story or someone telling it um, so let's, let's take a, uh, so I'm just kind of trying to peel back the layers here. Like, let's take a step further back. Your yeah. title is string quartet number five. And, um, but each movement is titled like a different thing. Like, and I'm just going to keep using because it's, because everyone's thinking about it. I'm just going to keep it's using... It's in the yeah, zeitgeist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I'm just going to keep using the, the 2020 example. But, like, the first movement's called, like, quarantine. And then the second movement's called, like, isolation. And then, the, you know, like, you have these, like, yeah. subtitles. And each movement is reflective of how that composer experienced these different you know events that are or almost like these processes or you know how they processed like these events going on kind of thing a really cool thing that i've seen in a score before actually it was a piano work that this um composer i believe it was um it was either stacy garrup or gosh, what's her name? She's based out of Minneapolis and I can't remember her fucking name right now, but it's okay. Um, it was one of the two. Um, and it was this piano work. And as you're um, playing, there's just lines of poetry throughout the work. Um, oh. And it's so instead of like expression markings, there's still like forte, like dynamic markings and like, and like slurs and stuff like that. But instead of like being really specific with like accents and like things like that, they just inserted lines of this poem throughout the, throughout the work, like in top and you weren't supposed to say them or anything, but they were just to inform you of like how you were to perform this. I think that's a really interesting way to bridge the gap actually of like the performer and the composer, because 
yeah. com- the performer might have a really different interpretation of this poem than the composer. Yeah, um, absolutely. There's a little, the composer does have, a, I would say it's about a 60, I'd say it's about a 70-30 split because the composer still put in like dynamic markings and the notes on the page. So if it's a really dissonant passage at like, you know, double forte, like you might, <laughs> you can begin to understand like how to interpret like this, um, yeah. this thing. And I, and I think that the rhythms used loosely you could almost speak the poem in like that rhythm kind of thing like that, the, that the music was going at in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so that's, so that's a really interesting, um, clever way to kind of navigate that, um, that implying an ideology of like yourself into a music while also giving the performer some like leeway on like how they like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've actually wanted to do that before, um, and I just never did. I should do that, actually. Um, I just need to read more poetry. I don't really read poetry that often. I feel like that would help you with the whole setting text. It probably would. <laughs> I was thinking that when you were doing yeah. it. Um, yeah, you know what? That that touched off something in my head. Um, talking about like that composer-performer relationship, yeah. that, that dynamic. Um, I, I agree. I think 70-30... It's probably about as low as I'd go for the the composer, honestly, because there's so much like as a as a performer in my mind at least, where I want to put myself in the piece, not yeah. on the piece. Yeah. If we're gonna sure clear up prepositional use, mm-hmm. um, I think that's what part of speech that is. Um, <laughs> but you know, you you have to first grasp, like like you said, like the rhythm notes the dynamics the the markings the stuff the composer gives you you have to go in and do that as faithfully as you can then you can play with it but until you can play the piece how it is on the page right. you can't start yeah doing other stuff you can't start you can't just like start yeah you have to playing walk, stuff you have, weird you have to walk before you run kind of thing. yeah yeah also it got me thinking about um one of the one of the only one of the few performers that can really make it more of a 50-50, um, which is Glenn Gould. Oh, Because yeah. that guy, <laughs> he would do whatever he wanted. Oh, like, even if you had, like, the wildly dissonant passage or something, he'd be like, no, I can find the... I can find exactly the right way <laughs> to, like, just balance everything and play it somehow, where, like, yeah. it would all of a sudden be like, how did you make that sound so... Yeah, like in like a way that like dissonance like I, I guess, dissonance I guess is beautiful, saying. but it's not like I get what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. it was like convention. It's yeah, like, oh yeah. wow, it sounded like right, right, wow, how totally. Did that sound? Um, and I think that's a he's just an interesting case study. And yeah, you know, yeah. Read a few articles. Yeah, about him. Very, very interesting. Wild interpretations. Yeah, totally. They're just yep. So. He's he's actually kind of the the height of uh, what I mentioned earlier with the performers, mm-hmm. um, the dialogue. He mm-hmm. is giving a, he's giving a talk about the piece that he's playing through his playing. Mm-hmm. He's giving you a whole discourse on it. Yeah, he's being like, "This is what this piece wants you to hear." This is you know, it's like this whole yeah. thing, and I think that's ultimately one of the best things you can do mm-hmm. with music. Um, he takes it to 
uh, Bernstein-like extreme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but that 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 I think is something that more people should do. Sure, is, is be like this is what it this is what it says. Especially with those things that we don't have as much information about. Sure, like sure. Bach. Like, yeah. Do what you want with Bach. Yeah. Like, I'm a big like. It's pretty open. Go out there and and do it. Yeah. Um, know that the Bach cello suites are based around dances, and know which beat should be hit harder in the dance. But beyond that, I'm like. Yeah, run away. Go for go, it. Go do what you want to do. For sure. And I think, um, so kind of back to the, the composers, because sure. that was a branch off into the performance. Well, I, that's not in thought. I was, so I was about to, I think that there are examples of composers that like bring their personal philosophies, ideologies into their music. Um, I think it's also sometimes they might be a little hesitant to do that because um it's it's kind of a risky move as and this might be a um <laughs> a good segue into like the audience um portion of this um, yeah. because yeah. if you know a, a large majority of supporters of western classical music um the big donors tend to be uh relatively conservative individuals so if you have this piece that is um you know actively against um i don't know the rich in a population or you're I don't know. You're, you're, you're saying something that might disagree with people that would otherwise support you. They might not support you anymore. And so it's like certainly that's a balancing a act. Yeah. It's like a balancing act because like you might want to write this and that's where I'm saying like write a piece that conveys that how you feel. You don't have to outwardly say like I, this is what this piece is about. Name it something different and write some bullshit, you know, uh, program notes. Like well, we can all shit out program. Yeah, like you don't, you don't have to like. So I, I think it's it is disingenuous, but at the same time, if it yeah, like keeps if you, the bread on your table. Yeah, I mean, like you could like write a. Um, like I'm not saying it in a bad way. It's just like, yeah, yeah, but you you could write something that would still get the point across. Like this piece is about um, my dissatisfaction with the um, something or another that like just be vague and like yeah. just, just say like it's. I'm it, unhappy. This piece is me being unhappy. Pretty much. so the audience certainly does have i actually think that the audience's ideology and like politics and philosophy has probably like some of the largest impact on like how how music is consumed and what music is consumed and everything like that um but as we've discussed already like wagner is an anti-semitic piece of shit and his stuff is still programmed and like to great acclaim exactly and and it's not addressed really ever in like any of it like Chicago, um, Chicago Lyric was about to do their, um, ring cycle this year. And I mean, obviously it's not happening. Um, but what the fuck? (laughs) The fact that there's like the whole Bayreuth festival is a thing. Yeah. It continues to be a thing. Right. And is a Mecca, like a pilgrimage. Right. Right. It's like, and the great conductors still come out of, come out of that and like, yeah, go there to. Great musicians, great conductors go there, and you know people cut their teeth conducting Wagner. And right, right. 
it's it's always a breeding ground for talent. Right. But uh, yeah, the, yeah, it's a it's a problematic. Oh thing. yeah, no, it's it's like why yeah. like the the Wagner worship is an issue. Yeah, you know. No. Um, but no audiences definitely have. So we can so we can agree that like influence uh, that like. The audience has a huge influence in the classical Western Western classical world, largely because yeah. um, not only not only audience but donors, like donors with large money, yeah. have the most influence on what's the programmed. The people yeah. in the seats um, have like the most influence because they have the most money and they're donating to these organizations, and they ultimately decide like what's going to be programmed. Though they don't specifically say like what they want programmed, but like due to the fact that they know what brings people in, they're going to continue to keep on there, programming. Yeah. These, and there, you know. there is actually some, uh, you know, big donors. There are big donors who have contributed to say the Chicago symphony for, for many years. And they're known to yeah. the, the president of the orchestra and the artistic director. And they've met at enough big yeah. you know, gatherings and, that person likely sits on the board in some capacity sure. because they're such a large donor, things yep. like that. Yep. They they actually there, there's actually a decent amount of explicit like I want to hear this piece. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and there's there's like a you know that this person really enjoys you know Tchaikovsky symphonies. Sure. So you always have you know at, you know and every, you might know that they're in you, town you might this play, day. Like, yeah, yeah, or or you know that they're you know they they likely go to a fair number. Of or concerts yeah. since they're so involved at that point and spending so much money but you know that hey every year we're going to program like two Tchaikovsky symphonies or three Tchaikovsky symphonies throughout the year right this person loves Beethoven so we make sure that every year we do you know two of you know three five six seven nine like yeah. we just make sure we do two of them yeah yeah um that's also just a money thing you're yeah. putting five out. Because everybody knows. Everybody everyone knows, knows Beethoven. Beethoven five. Everyone knows Beethoven nine. Even if you're not like a everyone classical. Knows to Every, uh, yeah. 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 No, yeah, it's, yeah. it's what it is. Um, bump, so like we, bump, 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 bump. so we, <laughs> we know, Great we, we know this like, and people who are listening, who are privy to like the, you know, the classical music world are most likely aware of this. Like yeah. that, the large. It's, a, it's not a secret. It's no, not it's like people with large money decide where what happens? Like, Look, if I gave ten million dollars to the CSO, I would want them to play it. Probably, like, yeah. Pieces that I like. Right. Yep. Um, so it's just like so. Take and some that get upset about programming. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know when I was told a little bit about when Baron was conductor, he loved to play Carter. He loved to play Leonard mm-hmm. Carter. Mm-hmm. That became an issue with some yeah, some donors and people on the on the board. They were just like, yeah. "Why do you insist on keep?" programming fucking elliot carter because they were like it's it's dense it's hard to listen to carter sometimes Mm -hmm. you you have to have to go for it good luck finding the beat um (laughs) dude his music is so dense i'm i'm a fan of carter's some of his stuff i think it's i think it's good to study carter's music um carter's music is interesting if once you I've never played any of his music. I've only done score study, but I, I would imagine as a performer, once you've played one of his works, you will be a master of metric modulation, you know, just based on his work, you know, like you, yeah. you will really begin to understand the relationship from like, you know, pulse and beats between, you know, different stuff. Oh, I imagine. So, so anyway, but my, I'm, 
ultimately trying to get at here is not necessarily the I had it. I'm sorry, and I <laughs> no, it's no, you're fine. I it was a loose, it was it was a loose thing, anyways, that I figured we could rip on. But oh well, in in any case, then I think stepping back from donors, yeah, you know, those kinds of people, sure, going more grassroots, the society, the sure, audience, yeah, the, the oh, society yeah. is a societal. You, you well, so, so what I was so what I was gonna say is like not only I I mean like we the old money is disappearing you know, within the donors and it, or it's not that it's disappearing. It's being, um, uh, inherited by younger people and the younger population of this country, um, newsflash for the most part does not give a shit about Western classical music. Um, that's, <laughs> that's, no, that's, say it ain't so. And, and let alone experimental new music in that vein. Um, so it's really, that's, I mean, that's, that's huge. Like that's like, we're starting to see a lot of money. So stepping what I think like, you know, this goes into our elitism thing, but like personal philosophies and everything. It's like, these people are seeing these orchestras and like what they're perpetuating is this like aristocracy and stuff like that. And they're like, why do I want, why do I want any part of that? Or like, why do I want to give money to this, you know, organization um, that I don't care about? A that B, and like, I'm not even gonna pretend that they care about that point I just made actually, because they they probably don't care if it like perpetuates this like aristocracy, you know, aristocratic, aristocratic. That's the word, aristocratic society. But like, um, but mostly like, why should I give money to this when I could donate to like this nonprofit and get a huge tax break? Yeah, you know, I mean. It also depends on the orchestra because, like, there know, are there are non profit orchestras. Well, actually, yeah. most of the larger ones are arts organizations, and they are non Oh, okay. So, so I'm like just, the CSO. I'm speaking. I'm an idiot. Sorry. Oh, no, but I mean, like, they might find that that other nonprofit is a much better way to publicly sure. know, show their look. Donating millions of dollars to an orchestra is cute, but donating millions of dollars to medical research. Could be objectively better. Now we're not here to say <laughs> I am a musician and I like having money. Um, but you know, yeah, uh, there, yeah. there's a PR guy somewhere going, "Yeah, it looks better for a rich person to donate to medical research." Or and something. it's probably not that they're completely not donating anymore. It's just like that they're donating probably significantly less to you know. Yeah, donation is weird. Um, I. Well, okay, so biggest biggest points of revenue for an orchestra are going to be donations. Yeah. Um, and the the splitting of donations, I would I would have to look. I, I do have numbers on this, but I don't have them yeah. on the top of my and head. And it used they to are. be the endowment for the arts as well. Huh? As far as like revenue goes, like and the endowment for the arts used to be a big one until. Uh, that hasn't been big for a long time. Right. Right. Long. I mean that. I mean, mid twentieth century. Yeah, you're right. Seventy years ago. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, it, 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 no, I'm, arts I'm, fun, arts funding from the government is like one percent of an orchestra. Right. What an orchestra gets. Fair point. Forty percent is going to be like ticket sales. Yeah. Anywhere between like upper twenties to low forties. Yeah. Yeah. And then donations. Yeah. Um, and donations are 
it's a cultivated process. Yeah. The people who donate donate more are older and richer because they have had time to accrue wealth over their lifetime. Right. And they've had time to fall in love with the orchestra. Right. And it's just kind of a donation thing. You get someone in donating small amounts, you move them up the ladder, and you get them to those big amounts. So, I mean, yeah, most of the people donating are older. You talk about, I mean, uh, I don't, I don't, yeah, I mean, like the, you know, younger people inheriting money, things like that. Yeah. I don't know where their money's going. Again, I think, I think you're not, but. Right. I, like, I don't think you're wrong. Like, it might be going to more, like, practical uh, resources. Or a lot of it's just going into politics. Or that. Which is I mean, something I like. I, yeah, I mean, and it's, like, how it really plays into, like, the, the relevancy of, like, you know, Western classical music in, like, our mm-hmm. current time. And, like, I'm not here to say it's not irrelevant. It's not that it's not. Music is important. Yeah, and, like, you know, artistry and everything. But, like, what, so this goes, um, philosophy, ideology of the listener, how does that impact classical Western music? Well, the philosophies and ideology of classical Western music don't necessarily align with modern day society. In fact, I would argue that, you know, they don't align with modern day society. Um, and I'm talking stuff, uh, uh, 18th, 19th century. Yeah. The stuff that the tradition is couched in. Right. And like, then in the 20th century, we begin to get stuff that reflects our like modern society, but like, all the stu- all the canonical works that these major organizations are performing are not reflective of, you know. Yeah. And yeah, you can make the arguments that Beethoven's Nine is about, you know, coming together and yada yada yada. But it's like there's other the stuff day, that's been. There, I mean, there's other stuff that's been written more recently that reflects a more accurate depiction of a similar thing, probably written by you know a woman or a person of color. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's so many things, like, um, uh, 1812 Overture. Sure. It's like, cool, a piece about a war. Um, got a lot of those. Yeah. Um, we could play something that's not 1812 that discusses war in a more realistic light. I'm right. sure there are new pieces written about the Persian Gulf War or perhaps the Iraq. Yeah. Uh, war. I mean, or, like, what, what kills um, me is in like just anything. I don't what, know. Like, there's there's yeah, a lot of stuff yeah. out there. Yeah, and like, what kills me, it's like, um, every year, and this might be insensitive, yeah. so I'm sorry if I'm I'm actually like um grinding at people's um, teeth here, but it's like every year, like for the nine eleven memorial service or whatever, they always play Barber's Adagio for strings. I'm like, that's just such a cultural thing, and I'm just like, like have we? Can we not can we commission just Britain's? Um, or can we just not, can we commission, like, a more recent work? Like, don't get me wrong, Adagio's Strings, like, I, it does get the mood, and it's, you know, whatever. It's, I'm not saying it's inaccurate, but I'm like, part of me is like, come on, like, it's... it's you're telling me no one's written a piece about 9-11? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're, you're telling me <laughs> in the last 20 years. Yeah. No yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Really? Like, we could bring that to the forefront. Yeah, it's, um, so I think that it's... I mean, so the, you know, people who are like creating these memorial services, they know like, oh, this is like a solemn, you know, string work that will get people to reflect on like the events yeah. that happened kind of thing. You're not wrong. I'm not saying it's inappropriate to have that piece there, but 
your point exactly. You're trying to tell me that no one has written something since this event has happened that could reflect it much more directly. Like the monumental event of a yeah. large period of time. Yeah, yeah, still is. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I still think we as a country have a hangover from that. I wouldn't call it a hangover. We are still... Oh, we've got a patriot porn. We are still... Yeah. We are still reconciling with... And that was meant to be insensitive to a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) Matt's... I don't even know how to describe the face he's making right now. It's called a smile. (laughs) (laughs) You don't see it all. No, we've got a whole... Yeah. Hard on for patriots but that's the, the military that we've cultivated. Yeah, totally. For one, a long time, but two, that really gave us a nice focal point to put our focal point size flags But out. what fucking genre? I on a, on, oh God, no, but like what? No, you need to get me off. No, but what genre of music rails. fucking capitalized on that? It was fucking like country music and Kenny Chesney and all those motherfuckers. Like, yeah. And like, I'm not trying to say that that's like the furthest thing from my classical Western music, but like, it's not close by any means. So they're not the most related. No, there's <laughs> certainly not. So like you, so you begin to have this, you know, uh, a culture and an audience of listeners that, I mean, it's been going on since probably, I mean, since, I mean, the, the popular, I mean, the real split probably happened. Like I'm just ballparking here, like in the fifties with the emergence of like rock and roll and yeah, that stuff. And, I, I was going to say post-World War II. Sure, post World War II, like because like up until then, like yes, there was jazz, but I think jazz and classical were like held in like similar regard. They were still popular art. Well, and jazz was dance music, classical was listening music. Like it was like two different things, and then like we, and then rock came along, and then everything else came along, basically. So, well, blues became popular. Yes, sorry, blues, (laughs) blues. Rock didn't just like show up. Blues became popular, and then and white then, people appropriated African American yes. music that was meant to represent their struggle, yes. and turned it into rock. Yes, yeah, I was say, then Elvis, and then Elvis whitewashed the blues, and then that's uh, all downhill from there. Um, <laughs> um, no, but it's, it's this has turned into something else. Um, I mean, it's but hey, it's, we did get on the topic that I put in the in the drive that we didn't need. To oh talk yeah. About. <laughs> I knew we'd get there eventually. <laughs> I didn't know when. But it, I, no, I think it's completely all related to just like the current audience. Like we're, as a nation, we're not focused on, and oh man, so many loaded statements. I'm probably going to get so much Not necessarily a bad thing, but. It might kind of be a bad thing. Well, I, I, I think actually, I have, I have a lot of we're, ways to frame this word as a bad thing. And well, it's just like we're we're not so we're not focused on artistry anymore no. as much. Like, and I uh, there's so. With that being said, there's well, so many so many late stage capitalism things to throw. Well, there's that, <laughs> but yeah, no. I mean, the music industry in general is just trying to pump out you know chart after Money. chart. We'll get back to that in a second. But what I'm saying Sorry. is, like, within this context of pop music, there are people that are doing really cool things. You know, um, 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 Anderson Pot is like. Amazing. An amazing artist. T-Pain, an incredible vocalist. <laughs> Nobody knew it because they, made, he didn't, they didn't make him. But like the style at the time, the aesthetic at the time was these auto-tune. Um, guy, dude, guy can fucking sing. Like, dude, guy's got pipes. I went to a T-Pain concert at uh, my undergrad. Oh, yeah? He came to, that was the most middle school thing I think I've been to <laughs> since I was in middle school. 
That's incredible. I just walked in and like he was he was doing his set and I'm I'm just like yeah yeah we are all in rural Iowa <laughs> white as chalk yep yep standing in a school gym yep watching T Pain very visibly drunk which I am here for I don't want it <laughs> any other way red solo cup in hand just. Woo! Doing his thing, like, <laughs> like the, it's like it's not even a full gym. <laughs> like yeah, you yeah. just can't, like yeah. you can't get hyped for it. I'm just right. standing in the like literally standing in the back, swigging from a flask that I'm hiding from the security guard, and just like <laughs> watching this unfold. Like this is middle school. <laughs> um, love T Pain though. Got yeah. some bangers. Got some yeah. music. Got pipes. Yeah, and Bro, like pipes. I mean, we got people even who are... uh, like uh, Billy Eilish. Um, yeah, they've done geez. some really interesting stuff with yeah. production. Yeah, and yeah, uh, and talk about like a DIY, um, a DIY surprise. I mean, maybe not a surprise, but like so- someone who's completely homegrown, like did with based on what she did. Like, I, I think it's funny how like her and Lord's career like mirrored each other really hard. Except she can actually deliver live, <laughs> where Lord like once Lord started touring, everyone was like, oh, oh. <laughs> that's, that's why you're not. <laughs> <laughs> that, and that oh. is why and that is why the best south park bit and will always be the best south park bit is that lord is actually randy marsh <laughs> in in, in fishnets and a wig <laughs> a good bit um yeah no they're they're great it's the it, it's they're not as it's you, you have that and then you have the, the, the of hundreds of other shit that you have to wade through before you get to that. The argument of who's better, Nicki Minaj or Cardi B. Objectively, it's Nicki Minaj. She's got bars. She's got good production behind her. Sure. She's actually doing a good job. Sure. Who's more popular? Cardi B. I was actually asking you. Because <laughs> I don't know. But because yeah, WAP yeah. is at the top of the charts. Okay, song certified banger. I'm just going to throw that one out there. Yeah, but it doesn't have like... No. No, it's not. It's not like... It doesn't have... Literally half the content in that entire song than one verse right. from a Nicki Minaj right. song would have. But it's like, but like, we kind of get to this. Not Nicki Minaj. We kind of get to this like dance music artist. versus like listening music. I don't think yeah, either sure. are, are necessarily listening music. Both can be dance music, but like, you 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 walk into like because I know you're really into the club scene. You you walk into the club and watch play, and I mean people be shaking the booties like it's it's like that's that's how it's that's what's gonna happen and I like, do you hear that's what happens at clubs <laughs> Matt Matt's underplaying it this boy is at the club every Tuesday yep <laughs> I think there, there was a point where I realized I was an old man when I was 22 and you I, the towel way too early, man. <laughs> dude, I went out. I went out in Chicago, like with people, last summer, and like, had you moved here? Was this like yeah, yeah? I, I like, moved here. Well, I mean, like late summer. Like, I mean, I moved here like beginning of August or whatever. Last mm. Oh, okay. But at some point, like, so grad grad people went out. Mm-hmm. Went out, and you know, people that I know, people that I like, and we went out, and we went out in Boys Town. That's where they were going out, and I was like, "Cool, I'll sure. take it along." I live, I the live there. Yeah, <laughs> I live in the neighborhood. I can make this work. And uh, got to a club, and uh, just I was like, I was like, it's it's too loud. 
Like, I want to be able to talk, talk to you. I feel that. And <laughs> why is a gin and tonic eleven dollars? Yup. I paid ten dollars to get in, and now you're charging me eleven dollars for a G and T yep. to not talk. Yep. And I, I just, um, my ears are already losing it, so I don't need any more encouragement. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, uh, I'm a big club guy. Yeah. I, I don't know, and I just I like think of my, like, my inability to dance also it hinders me. Wave your body around. Uh, yeah, I mean once you hit like ten, drink me, I'm good. <laughs> um, the you know I just um the 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 standard audience of um the United States of America is probably not interested in you know Western art music, um, which is fine. You know that's you know that's. You know, but that's, I mean, it does impact the industry. It does impact, you know, the, the direction of it. And I think we've talked many times where it's like that in a way almost, <laughs> it's kind of like what everyone's saying right now, like all the old people in politics, give them like a few years, it'll die out. It's kind of how I feel about like the major orchestras. It's like, give them like 10 years. Like a lot of them are going to start to disappear because like all the major donors are going to go away. And then like, that's going to create a lot more room for like the DIY, like small chamber group. I think you've already seen a little bit of that, like with the rise in the last like 20 years of organizations like the Knights. Um, sure. Like bang on a can. Ba- yeah. Bang on a can. Hey, Blackbird, all yeah. these guys. Um, there's there's a ton of Oh yeah. Totally. Of and totally. I think those like, and I think the Knights is probably the best example because they, in my mind at least, are like the most popular sure. visible present on the scene sure um yeah. and they're like they're they're doing it yeah and they're doing interesting programming and they do classic yeah. stuff yeah like they'll they'll play you know yeah. standard repertoire stuff but right. then they'll also play interesting things yeah um, i mean and like yes the audience does ultimately decide like what's popular on the radio on yeah. like what what is consumed popularly um and that's just that's the nature of the beast, yeah. you know? And I mean, I'll say like a large part of that is the record industry and like yeah. how, like yeah, what is promoted and stuff. What we were talking about earlier when I made that comment about like, um, stuff is just like pumped out, like charts are just pumped out. Like this isn't new. This was happening in the twenties with Tim Pan Alley. Like the difference oh, was like yeah. people were like making pop charts and then notated them. And that was like sheet music for people to go home and like buy and then go home and be like, Oh, I can play this too. Yeah. And like, which like, I feel like has like slightly more dignity to it. Cause you're at least you're providing like entertainment, like in a very like, uh, uh, tangible way to these yeah. people, like a, a very active way sure. for these individuals rather than like entertainment that you can passively consume. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's the big thing. The passive consumption of something without an eye or an ear, if you will, towards what it is, what it means, and where it came from. Right. That's, if we understood those things about pop music, there wouldn't be, I think, kind of the, 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 the appropriation of hip hop into the suburban white community. Right. Right. The, there is a lot of that. Uh, I don't know if it would be non-existent. No, but, no, but you, it wouldn't be non-existent. It would still, I'm, I'm with you, 
but it, it, maybe there would be an understanding. It would be sure. blatant appropriation of sure. just like, I'm going to listen to hip hop because it's cool or whatever, or like, like this, yeah. this thing where you're, you're not thinking about the yeah. music. And then maybe someone like Anderson Pock, who has done, you know, great, interesting things or someone like, um, uh, I mean, there, there are lots of artists, but I mean, it, it's, it's more the idea that like, who are the most popular artists? Where did they come from? Why are they popular? Sure. And what does their music say? Right. Like, Drake? And it, it, You're I, telling me Drake is a good rapper? <laughs> no. Um, it's, it's interesting that, because I, I do agree with you. It's like the knowing where, knowing where these like, um, genre influences come from, I think would definitely give us a better understanding, but it's also, I think we make the opposite argument for Western music, classical Western music a lot of times where we're like, oh, you didn't, you don't need to understand it to appreciate it. But I actually like, it's not that I, I don't disagree with that because I don't think you do need to like understand what's going on to appreciate it. Cause I think there's a lot of just like, you know, someone hears, um, I don't know what's, what's a, what's a banger of a symphony like, uh, Dvorak Nine. Sure. They're going to be like, this is Classic like, banger. Yeah, like a uh, uh, live Dvorak Nine. People are going to be like, oh yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. They might think it's Jaws at first, but like, it's fine. That's besides the point. And we, so I think in that regard, you don't need to know like what's going on to appreciate. But for you to be invested in classical Western music, I do think that just like if you were to be invested in any genre of music, you do your history. You begin to understand. And I think that that's actually where there becomes to become a, a disconnect with like the elitism because if you have knowledge of classical western music you are automatically pinned as like oh this is someone who like is part of the aristocratical aspect of like the the society <laughs> and like and and i you can blame that on probably something or another that happened in the 20th century but it's you know the the difference between like being a knowledgeable person on orchestral music of the Germanic tradition versus someone who's like knowledgeable of hip hop or, you know, rock music or, or like grunge music. Like it's, it's like two different, it's there, there are two different idea, not ideologies there. It's like metal music. Sure. Yeah. Like it's like metal music. Like there, there are a lot of people who are like, I don't like that in the same way that there are a lot of people who are like, I don't like classical music. Sure metal and then like they're like no but like if you know it and like you right there's a there's a way to listen to it i don't think you have to know it to like get something out of it no that's that's i think but knowing that's the elitism right parallel that i think that's the best parallel i can draw to something outside sure totally yeah and like as we are probably aware like metal and classical um actually have a lot of like similarities like stylistically Uh, um maybe not like current metal not like metalcore but like 80s like iron maiden and shit like that like there's a lot of counterpoint going on there it's good stuff metal's pretty cool dude math rock is math metal is hella tight hell yeah um yeah i think that like i don't know it we can keep beating the dead horse and talking in circles but i feel like i had another point if you have another thing to say like that's Totally I feel cool, like I, ha- I I wanted to say something, but <coughs> yeah, um, so I feel like I had I had something, but uh, 
89? Something about pop music? Something about... Yeah, oh, well, so if, uh, you know, the, the idea of, like, oh, no, 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 you, you don't have to understand it to, you know, go in and listen to it, that kind of thing. I, I'm i fine with that at a, at a certain level, and then, kind of like you said, like, you get to you yeah. move deeper into the genre. It's like, you don't you don't get introduced to a music by reading a whole ton about it, understanding it fully, like, you know, it, conceptually, and then listening to it. That's not how you, like, right. you, you don't get introduced to uh, pop music or, like, hip-hop or rock or blues or jazz or something. Like, you just, like, hear it and you either like it or you don't. And then if you like it, you go down that rabbit hole. If right. you don't, you leave it. Right. Um, and so that's where I think, like, getting people in, it's like, yeah, it's cool. But then at a certain point, you're probably going to want to understand more about it. Right. No, And that's yeah. just a natural progression of enjoying right. a, exactly. enjoying right. a music. It doesn't and, matter. Like, and that's like art too, poetry. Absolutely. Like any, any, I actually any, steer like, clear of any uh, analysis of uh, visual arts because yeah. I just like looking at stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Big fan of looking at stuff. Yeah. I love art museums. I not like an art student, I'm not like, oh, this is how like this is framed and yeah. these are the subjects and like this is the foreground background sure. using brush stroke and light and like yeah. like I don't know. The only the only thing I, I agree like I, I mean I like to look at that stuff there's a little just in general when I'm looking at a painting I'll notice it. But like I'm again I'm not an art student. So like I'm not I'm not looking to like try and recreate this. So I guess I'm not too I'm not too curious about like the process that like happened yeah. to create what is curious to me about like anything, any, any creation or consumed piece of media is the context of history in which it was created Absolutely. as I'm sure, yeah. you know, yeah. obviously Same you're, thing. yeah. Same so thing. that, but I think that that's, that's you know, why I read, honestly. well, <laughs> but that's not unrelated to the consumption of pop music. Like, yeah. you know, the, the, the pop punk scene in the early two thousands was like, pretty indicative of like what was going on during that time and like how that has like shifted and changed into like a modern context. It's like, yeah, like it still makes sense. Like guys bitching about being stuck in their like small farm town and you know, whatever. But, um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I think that it, regardless of the style genre aesthetic of music that you are consuming, like if you're interested in it, you're going to inevitably want to know more about it yeah yeah that's and just then i think that's when you, you start to understand more of the politics and ideology inherent within that music absolutely so you're not going to see it right away in anything right like jazz if you just hear you know charlie parker you're like damn this dude rips yeah you're not <laughs> going to be like you're, you're not going to have any idea about the context of like right his whole deal like, like oh why I, he's doing what he's right doing. right and, exactly um you're just like, oh, this is cool. And then maybe you'll get into like Coltrane and then like Miles Davis or something. And then you will actually have some context for why you're like, oh, this free jazz thing is pretty radical and cool. Right. And you know that because you listen to Charlie Parker, who's like, <clears throat> just like, yeah. okay, God. Yeah. At playing anything. But like, he's like, yeah. in his he's form, ripping. he's yeah. not, you know, Coltrane's just like, yeah, I'm going like, to do it a lot. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that kind of thing. But you're not going to find that ideology or the political aspects of like a pop song right away necessarily. Right, right. Um, yeah. Hip hop, 
right. great yeah, example of like not understanding the politics of that right away because right. It, yeah it's it's like you actually I would argue that like maybe not in not at first but like you listen so you listen level. you listen to like that's because there's words words right exactly but like but with that being said like you listen to like a Midnight Marauders by Tribe Called Quest I listened to the first time. First time I listened, I was like, oh, these beats slap. Like, this is great. Yeah. Second time I listened around, I'm like, okay, they're, this is, they're based out of Brooklyn. And then, like, you listen to it again, you're like, oh, okay, this is, like, about experiences that they've had in Brooklyn yeah. kind of thing. And then, so then you start to, like, not necessarily the, it's not so much politics, but you understand a lot yeah, of their yeah. philosophies. Yeah, yeah. their ideologies yeah. that have been formed by the place that they have grown mm-hmm. up and existed in. So. And that's, that's a big thing that I think, so with classical music, the audience allowing that to happen for people, allowing people to have that. Consider, reconsider, yeah. and consume again. Kind yeah. Of thing. And, yeah, and actually form a relationship with a piece and understand a piece on a, not just like a listening level, but like a conceptual level, like understanding mm-hmm. the philosophy of it, understanding that aspect of it is is something that I think performers and composers help facilitate. Yeah. Or and that's, should. that's what they yeah. should help facilitate yeah. because that's how you get an audience interested in what you're doing. Right. Right. Because it's like, if you like the sounds that are coming at you, you're, you're going to one already be interested. Yeah. The next step is having a relationship right. with those sounds, right. understanding the, the ideology, the, the way that piece wants or like what that piece wants to make you feel and think about. Yeah. And that's where like something like hip hop and and pop music can be so readily consumed and readily identified and related to. It's because it has those words. It has that message. That message is already built into our culture because that's our most popular music generally or rock or country. It's the zeitgeist as we mentioned. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And that's that's where those become immediately present whereas classical music has definitely fallen off the zeitgeist. It's fallen off that train. And it could be more of a part of it. It's never going to be like pop music. Yeah. But classical music could do a lot better job Uh, of actually pushing. And I think that like you have that relationship. not to open up this can of worms um we no, can kind let's of... open it and then just and just hard cut <laughs> <laughs> um i mean film music is probably the closest like you yeah. know that's the bridge kind of thing um and just kind of leave it at that it's, it's got the whole words thing associated with it too it's and when it, when it has associated to it is a exactly a motion picture um and that's you know and that's that yeah all right, well, until next time, um, I'm trying to think of like a, a, a cute name to call our listeners. Stay frosty, people. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's getting cold. Stay frosty. Stay frosty.